0: This is Not Worth Living, a podcast that features creatives interviewing themselves with a preset list of questions. Unlike other podcasts that feel like conversation between friends, this one aims to feel like he's on a psychiatrist's visit. Today's episode features... Hi, my name is Kyle Winkler. Um, I am a writer and a teacher, um, and Ira has asked me to ask not ask answer some questions i guess i could ask some questions rhetorically but answer some questions for not worth living um okay so first question what makes you tick um by the way i tried not to i looked at the questions but i didn't try to think of any answers beforehand so much um what makes you tick uh, weirdness i don't know um I say that, but then I I go on rants often when I teach my classes about how um, people should be more on board with boredom and banality. I think I mean boredom and banality in in the living world. And people are too eager to want to be distracted. And that includes myself. Um, And so if you're more on board with banality and boredom, and I don't see those as negative sort of just embracing the world as it is, which is what I think people see as mm-hmm. banality and boredom, then when something comes along that isn't, and is, is weird, truly weird, um, then you can really embrace that and kind of let that fuel you um, for however long it can fuel you. I try to let things like that, but I'm obsessive too, so I can get fueled by something small for a very long time. Um. Second question, would you open an envelope with your death date? I think pretty resoundingly no. Um, I have thought about this before being asked this question. Uh, Some form or fashion of like, would you live a better life if you knew when your life was going to end? I mean, do you believe in free will? I mean, if you you don't believe in free will, then it doesn't matter. Um, If you do believe in free will... Then almost, I think 99.99 repeating percent of people alive would be hamstrung and paralyzed by knowing when they were going to die. Now, you might say, Kyle, what about people who are given, you know, these, these, you know, you've got three months to live kind of thing with terminal cancer diagnoses and, or, you know, things like that. Um, Those are real. I think those are sort of equivalent. Um, But I think the difference there is that for people who are terminally ill, Um, at least from the ones that I've known who have a very limited lifespan left, you know, the quality of their life is not always great. Um, you're in a lot of pain. Your consciousness is distracted. Um, you're just trying to get by on, you know, essentials like eating and breathing and sleeping and, um, things like that. So I think we tend to have this idea that, oh, well, if you knew, you'd be able to have a better life. I think people, there are people who do know, and I don't know if they necessarily do. Some might obviously um if you're sick and you know when you're gonna die this went off topic quickly didn't it um maybe you can maybe you can make amends and you can you know try to meet with people before you go i've heard a lot of stories about that from people who work in hospice um but would i open an envelope with my death date on it no no way i'd burn it for sure so anyone to fucking know uh, third question, what was the first time you remember creating something intentionally? So my instinct after I read this is to lie and make up something that I know about retroactively from my parents. But if I'm being perfectly honest, um, something intentional. See, the thing about making something is like, what do we mean by that? I mean, I guess it could be anything. I mean, I made a lot of stuff when I was a kid. You know, you played with toys, you made forts, you made things in sand, you built crap out of boards, you know, Um, but none of them really stuck out to me. I have to say probably the one thing that I do remember being very proud of that I did intentionally was, when I was in like third grade, my art teacher, and all the things that I was forced to make were probably the things I remember most. um, Like through school, was a drawing. I had to do like an oil pastel or an oil crayon drawing and I remember um it was a it was like a Mario Super Mario Brothers type thing I think I did and I was really proud of that um I found another one recently of a tiger with a boy on top of it and I was going to save it and then I just threw it away I'd kept it this whole time I'm 40 now and I'd kept it from when I was like you know 9 and then I just tossed it um cuz I wasn't going to do anything with it um Other than that, I wrote, the first thing I ever wrote, though, word-wise, was a story in fifth grade called The Jewel Heist. I still have that because my teacher, uh, uh, Mrs. LaDonna Lane, um, put like a little Mylar cover on it and a little, um, what do you call it, a little ringed thing on the side so we could turn the pages. I don't know what it's called, like a punch thing. I don't know what the official word for that is. Um, And I did all the words, wrote the story, and did all the pictures. And uh, it'd make, none of it makes sense. Um, and it's sort of pseudo-British because I was like always was obsessed with like an Anglephile. So it was sort of like this detective story about these jewels that were hidden in some ice cream. Um, I very distinctly remember doing that and really being happy with it, actually. Um, I think I used the, the simile like a hot knife through butter and thought that was amazing. Um, but you know, fifth grade, what are you going to do? uh well i have no idea if this is entertaining by the way i'm sorry if you've already fallen asleep maybe we can make it like smr ASMR or something uh question four what keeps you motivated um i hate to be so um blunt like living money taking care of my family um i've got two little kids and i have another one on the way we're gonna have a third kid in a month um i'm 40 you know, I'm sort of in a weird place as a millennial, you know, having kids later. You know, it's just what keeps me motivated is like taking care of my family, making sure that we have um, food, clothes, tuition um, for things, you know, like uh, insurance. We need a new car. I just stuff, a furnace. Um, so taking care of other people keeps me motivated. Um, outside of that, um, friends, big time. I have to have friends, um, people that I, even if I see them once a week, just people who like recharge my batteries, um, people who I can talk to on the phone. I'm constantly calling and texting people and, you know, trying to just catch up with people. Um, I need that. I'm an incredibly social person and I kind of live in an isolated area to some degree, um, away from people who I don't know. So, you know, making friends and being friendly is really important to me. Who inspires you at the moment? Uh, gosh, lots of people. Uh, my wife, <laughs> first and foremost. She's um, like eight and a half months pregnant, and it has been a struggle um, with this baby. Um, uh, I don't. Maybe that's not what the question was asking, but it's pretty broad. So I'll just I'll go with this. Uh, we've lost um, some pregnancies, and in in pretty bad ways. Um, over the last few years and all of them were pretty brutal for both of us one specifically the last one actually and so we didn't really think that we were gonna get pregnant um again until we did and then it was like wow okay well we kind of didn't expect that to happen and it did and it's it's so far it's going well um and it's really tough i think we we really um maybe men do i shouldn't say women but like Uh, You really underestimate what sort of horrific transformation the body goes through in pregnancy. Yes, it's pretty amazing, but it's also just like, my God, like it is an alien invasion in a lot of ways. So her ability to get up every day and still do things, you know, even while having this, uh, this baby in her, um, you know, and all the extra blood and extra fluid and all the headaches and the nausea, which have just consistently gone on through this pregnancy is pretty amazing. She's very strong and very um it's very inspirational to me um so that would be that's my answer for that um outside i will say outside of that um the first writer that came to my mind was chris dennis who is a good friend of mine we were in the mfa program together years and years ago and he lives in southern illinois and is just uh i consistently talk about how beautiful um he is as a person inside and out he's one of the most talented people um I state this over and over again, but there are a few people in the world who, when I talk to them, I become smarter by talking to them. I become wittier. I become a more attractive person in my own eyes. And that is Chris Dennis, who's a writer, uh, who has a collection of short stories called Here's What You Do from Soho Press. You should buy it and read it. And who hopefully will have a, a new nonfiction book out sometime in the future. Um, what's my latest project? Um... I think I hit the mic. Sorry, Ira, you can edit that out. Um, so I have two books coming out in 2024. The first one's called Grass Hands. It's a novel. It's coming out in January. Um, I wrote this years ago and tried to find a publisher for it. Eventually, landed at Journal Stone, which I'm very happy with. I'm so psyched. I'm I cannot be more excited about a book. Um, I really think it is probably the best thing i've written or released rather what that will be released i think the best thing i've written is something that well, no one will ever read actually fortunately um but um it's a cosmic core novel um about libraries and moss and gig work and um being friends with older people which sounds weird um Dealing with dealing with the internet in a weird way, I think think people are going to understand how much the grass hands is about the internet because I didn't make it directly about the internet, but it really is about the internet. It kind of connects actually exactly up with the first question, which is what makes you tick. So you can scroll back and listen to what I said to that. And then I have a second book that was just accepted for publication. Um, Castain is going to publish that uh, late summer, early fall. It's called Tone Bone and it follows a character from my first book, The Nothing That Is. Um, She is a gay biker, uh, anarchist, occultist, and I was just in love with that character. She's only on screen or on page for like five pages, and I just wanted to know what happened to her so I wrote a whole book about her, Um, and that's going to come out. And the kick-ass guys at Castane also want to do a whole tarot deck based off some cards that I made up in my book So we're going to do something kind of cool for that too. Um, Other than that, I know this is like not my latest project. This is two projects, but I'll tell you a third since I have you um, captive here. Um, I'm working on a book now that I've been working on for probably about a year and a half. The working title is The Night Janitor about a guy who... Um, has a brother who's a detective in a small town and these series of murders occur and he wants to try to solve them behind his brother's back Um, and they're very weird. So like when he goes to try to find out and talk to people who are related to or know the victims, they suddenly don't remember anything about these people. So it's, um, it's on the surface seems like a murder mystery but obviously goes sideways very quickly. Um, next question. If, um, yeah, if money was no object, what would be your dream project? Uh, That's easy. I would start my own press. I'd like, literally I would buy a press. Um, I've said this a lot. I think one of the great things about living in, in our current era is that, um, self-publishing of which I am one, I'm a self-published author. My first three books are self-published. Um, was only possible recently because of the rise in quality of of materials, physical materials. Um, I had tried self publishing many many years ago, but not the 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 technology wasn't really there yet. Um, and for all of the sort of you know um, demon like qualities of Amazon, KDP, Ingram Spark, you know what they produce are really good. Um, say what you want about the the companies um, of, of which. They suck, you know, but um, the material goods actually look nice, which gives people sort of a fighting chance if they want to quote unquote go it alone. Um, But I always complain, I'm like, what would make things better? And I was like, I would have to own my own press, literally buy my own press. And I've heard of sort of a co-op groups that do this. I think there are some that exist. Many people have told me about them. I think they're fantastic. Um and everybody sort of takes turns you know publishing their book and they all work together to put it together and compose it uh, like as a compositor put it together right and design it and and then print it and it's just like sort of a communal celebration i have a friend richard marabella who often says that we're going to reach a sort of future where books are um these sort of arcane trinkets that we just uh, trade with each other right Um, from going from mass entertainment objects to you know Um, these sort of slightly occult trinkets that we, um, produce and exchange, um, in a weird way, which is both sad, but also is like, you know, you have to kind of just accept where the future goes for things. So maybe that's how it works. Um, but yeah, I buy press and then that doesn't solve the issue of paper though. So that's, I'm just stuck with a giant fucking press in my basement. Um. Next question. Um, Is there a quote or a motto that you work by? Um, Yeah, there are a couple. Um, I'm going to make sure I have this right. There is a quote. I'm I'm literally Googling Googling it as as we speak. Okay, so apparently Hillel the Elder said, if not now, when... Uh, or a version of that is, if not now, then when. Um, and I think he also said something: "If I am not for myself, who will be?" Um, I like both of those. Um, those are things I think about a lot. I kind of came across both of those around twenty seventeen for various reasons. I had kind of a crisis in my in my life and um, was really struggling. And came across those quotes, and I I liked that. I was I was sort of. Um, Polaxed and a major decision I needed to make, and if not now, when was definitely um, something that helped me along. Um, and then the other one is, if I'm not for myself, who will be? You know, it's sort of one of those. So we we tend to live um, in an era where many of us, through various reasons, which don't all have to do with genetics, um, are down on ourselves for a lot of reasons. I think a lot of the way the the world is constructed is meant to make you feel like shit. And I think it's good to remind yourself that you're in charge of, um, whether or not you believe in free will or not, we can sort of put that aside. Um, that if you aren't for yourself, then who will be? No one will be probably. There might be people in your life who, who who will root for you and who want the best for you, but like, you kind of have to want to be that person first? Um, so yeah, those are a couple quotes. Um, three questions left um would you be friends with yourself man um i know i know a lot of people might be like yeah sure i'm pretty cool or whatever but based off relatives that are a lot like me when we're together it is maddening so i'm not sure i'm i'm a know-it-all um that's not, that's not i don't say that proudly i just it's sort of just of my personality um i'm i i'm a uh, sarcastic shit often um if i want to be i can be very cruel very quickly um and so i'm sure i would come across that i if i was my if i was friends with myself though would i still get to be myself if i was myself and there was a copy of me like you know how there are two rikers on star trek you know he gets caught in the pattern buffer of the transporter and gets stuck on that station and then they come back and discover him Which you know, I'm obsessed with Star Trek. Um, I if we had time to like grow apart and become our own people, that would be interesting. I would totally want to be friends with myself. But if it was like right now, I'm gonna like Xerox myself, and you're gonna be sitting next to me, and we're gonna start talking. I don't know. That'd be weird. That I don't know how that would escape solipsism. I'm just wanting to know about yourself. It'd be strange. Because i already know what's going on I'd, I'd want to copy myself and then like be far away from the other copy and i'm sure the other version of me would feel the same way and then come together and talk and like compare notes that'd be kind of cool uh what do you do differently from other people <laughs> um i'm about to like contradict something i just said like if i'm not for myself who will be um I, I wanted to say i'm not different from other people i'm not that different from other people but i guess you kind of have to feel like you are different from other people if you write fiction um, I feel like I write different from differently than other people. I kind of have to you know um, it might not be mu- by much you know it might be that someone reads my book because it's just, just like every other x y z author or or genre person I've ever read or whatever um and that's fine, you know um, but I feel like you kind of have to add your own uh Italians have a word sprezzatura. You know, you have to add your own little dash of something onto that. And uh, I like to think that there's a weirdness that I can add to things, you know, that I have practiced uh, through years of just like listening to conversations and then injecting one word or a phrase into that that makes everybody stop and go, what the fuck is wrong with you? And then you're sort of like, yes, I've achieved my goal of bothering everybody. I'm gonna go back to doing whatever it was I was doing beforehand. And I've adapted that, like injecting weirdness into co- real life conversations to just turned it over into writing fiction and telling stories and thinking up the weirdest things possible, which often, surprisingly or not, stops you from trying to reach a white audience. <laughs> um, but maybe one day we'll see. Um, um, what else do I do differently from other people? I don't know. Um, I read and walk a lot. I don't know a lot of people who read and walk, like I walk around my town and I read a book. Um, The only other person I know who does it, who actually lives two blocks down from me is this really weird guy who wears a bucket hat and a backpack and like walks like very set hours every day and he reads on a Kindle. I don't know where he goes. He walks much further than I do. Um, He might be a little off, I'm not entirely sure, but he also might be in this QAnon house that's like a couple blocks down, so... That'd be weird. Maybe we should compare notes. Um, okay, final question. I'm sad. We're at the end now. I'm going to drink some water so I can answer this last question as clearly as possible. What would you like your epitaph to say? <clears throat> so I joked around with my wife because um, I did read this one and I thought about it and I was like, I'm behind you would be a good epitaph on a tombstone Um, just to really creep people out one last time and be kind of a snot Um, I don't know what I would want my epitaph to say I think in a weird way that's not really up to you if that makes sense Um, that seems a bit disingenuous if you could write your own be like writing your own eulogy I mean as much as you want to hear it um, you know you you don't get any control over that Um, I used to live in Pittsburgh and I would walk through um, this beautiful rambling cemetery near my home called Homewood Cemetery, which is full of just like the most beautiful turn of the century um, gravestones and as an art, right? I mean, making a gravestone was an art and making monuments is and but was an art for sure, you know, obelisks and angels and pyramids. And, you know, just like sort of the most amazing, you have to remember, you know, like Pittsburgh had all the steel money in the turn of the century, so all the, all the rich people who lived in Pittsburgh and these nearby neighborhoods had these like huge mausoleums, you know, that have like seats and benches and, you know, beautiful stained glass windows and all these other things. And so, but I remember seeing um, a very smaller, sort of more modest gravestone for a family. And it was the mother, I think it was the matriarch of this family. And it said, you know, had her name, something, something, in her dates. And it said, um, she did what she could. That's all it said. She did what she could. And I thought at first, I was sort of like, man, that's sort of a backhanded compliment, you know, if not an outright insult to this woman who probably busted her ass very hard to uh, to try to make a living and take care of people. And. I still don't know how I feel about it. I'm, I'm thinking about it now. Like she did what she could, you know, but that's everybody. Everybody did what they could. You hoped. Um, and maybe that's enough, you know, to, to have a sort of the final thing. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think, I, I don't know if I would ever um, want anything. I don't know if I could write my epitaph. I think I would just let someone else write it for me. You know, if uh, my family, my kids, if my wife survives me and she writes something on there you know i don't know what she write again it's like the the second question about the envelope of the death date. i don't know if i'd want to know either so um am i might not have a tombstone i don't know these are all very i'm never going to give you a clear answer on any of this stuff but it's about as much as i could could say there so well that was the last question um this was a lot of fun i hope i didn't totally bore you. Um, If you want to connect and and argue with me about any of my answers, I'm up for that. Um, I am at uh, at Bleak Housing on all social media online. Um, Yeah, get a hold of me, argue with me, or don't. Um, This is a lot of fun. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Ira. Bye-bye.